Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Uh, my wife, Debbie, who you just heard from, uh, she loves musicals. Her favorite movie in all the world is a musical, but I, I, musicals to me just seem a little bit strange. One minute people are talking, and the next minute they're just singing. And I don't know about your life, but there's not a lot of people just bursting into song. If that's something that happens a lot at your house, uh, I probably won't be coming over for dinner. If you just start singing in the middle of dinner, I'm not going to be sure what to do. However, when it comes to Luke's account of the Christmas story, we find people keep breaking out into song. So regardless of my preferences, it would seem biblically there is a, a strong theology behind giving voice to the greatest news and truth that has ever been heard, that has ever been brought to this earth, which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. And the one who came in flesh died to pay for the guilt of our sins, was buried and raised and reigns to gather those who are his. When it comes to the glorious arrival of our long-awaited Savior, it would seem biblically only a song will do. And so through the Advent series leading up to Christmas, each week we will be preaching through the songs of Christmas. Uh, today, we begin with Mary's song. Then we also will have the song of Zechariah and of the angels and of Simeon. So we begin with Mary, who has received rather big news. In Luke 1, beginning in verse 30, an angel appeared to Mary, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, what does Mary do with this life-altering, transcendent news? What she cannot possibly grasp, but is now real for her. We're told in verse 39 that in haste, immediately, she goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, who also had an unusual pregnancy that we read about in verses 36 and 37. 
For the angel, as he spoke to Mary, had added this, And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary makes a four-day journey, about 100 miles, a young woman traveling by herself to get to the home of Elizabeth. Uh, We can imagine Mary is looking for someone who will understand. Who can I actually tell that will believe me? Who can I share this with who will support me? And it was a grace of God for the angel to to let Mary know about Elizabeth and for her to go to be with her. And as Mary enters Elizabeth's home, she receives a dramatic greeting. Verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken. Elizabeth's baby, the unborn John the Baptist, unborn yet very much alive responded to to even as an unborn child offer praise to Jesus who was alive yet unborn. Still in the very beginning phases of being in his mother's womb yet still deserving whatever praise could be given. Elizabeth gives praise for this child and she honors Mary who had believed what the Lord through the angel had said to her. And so Mary's response at this point is to break into song herself. And this is the part of the passage that is our our focus today. Beginning in verse 46, Mary's song. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted of those of humble estate. He has filled the hunger with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come asking that you would speak to us through your word, that your intention of why you recorded this song by Mary, that it would reach and shape, strengthen our hearts. Help us to think clearly, to think well, your truth in our lives. We need you in this. So we ask, Spirit, that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary's song is a, a declaration of praise for the, the magnitude of God's greatness. My soul magnifies the Lord. To magnify God is to amplify his greatness. It is not to enlarge what is true of God. It is to bring appreciation of what is true of God. We never add to the greatness of God by our words. We just try to find some means of recognizing and putting light on it. No one needs God to be greater, but we all need to be more aware of his greatness. God is as great as can be. It is an impossibility for God to be greater, more glorious than he is. It is very possible and needed for us to think better of God's greatness, for us to magnify him. And so the main point of our message this morning, in all that happens, magnify the Lord. In all that happens, magnify the Lord. The first thing I would say about this truth and what we see in Mary and through her song, Mary doesn't magnify the Lord because everything was fully clear in her mind of what was about to happen. Mary couldn't grasp the full reality of God in flesh in her womb. Mary certainly had no idea what would take place through the one who would be born from her womb. And certainly Mary was just her mind racing with, on a practical basis, what do I do with this news? What will the response be? How do I tell? Where do we go from here? Mary was not magnifying God out of the clarity of the certainty in her mind of what would happen. She was magnifying God 
according to his worth whether or not she could grasp it all, and certainly whether or not she had a clear plan of how everything would work. She magnified God because God is worthy for us to lift up, to amplify, to place attention on the greatness of his name and what he does. Now, before you think, well, of course, Mary is praising God. I mean, think of what God has done for her and with her. It was easy for Mary to magnify God for this astounding grace upon her. Before we, we think that it was easy for Mary to be praising God, uh, Consider that she had to tell her family, her fiancé, Joseph, that she's pregnant but a virgin, that an angel just appeared and told me. She would experience the whispering of people. What happened of this foolish tale How many times did she look at people in her life and wonder, what do they think of me? She would soon have to flee her home and loved ones with Joseph as Herod was seeking in anger to kill her son, leaving all behind to go and live for a time in Egypt. And then there would be the day when she would watch her firstborn son be crucified. And as he is hanging, the crowd is jeering. She's watching and hearing and suffering. And how her mind must have gone back to pictures of her son, born a child, now dying on a cross. There are no free passes to a life that casually and easily gives praise to God. It is a commitment each of us must make through the realities of life that are hard, that make us feel like doing anything but praising God. But if, if we know Jesus, then we see worthiness that deserves to be honored. You cannot know the Lord Jesus Christ without being aware of all sorts of reasons that are worthy of continual highest 
praise regardless of what may be happening for what is true and what we praise him for is so much greater than what gets in the way, what discourages us, what, what keeps our mouth closed with anything but anguish or anger. We, when we look at Jesus, we remember again, yes, he is worthy to be praised. Christ incarnate. The eternal God coming into this world, coming into human flesh and nature to save us. That obliterates any reason for withholding praise to God. Mary doesn't magnify because all is clear. She magnifies because God is, is worthy. And secondly, we see that Mary magnifies God for the joy of his involvement in her life, the, the joy of, of how he honored her by coming to her, that God's hand would be on her life to be used. Verses 48 in reading, and he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary was just a peasant girl. We have some idea of the the poverty of Mary and Joseph by the fact when they would bring Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated as the firstborn as was required under the Mosaic law, they were only able to give the offering that God allowed for those who were poor. They were not able to give the standard offering that was required. She is a, a peasant girl, unknown but, but just a small circle of people in her village. No real education in a time and culture where women were not valued. Women didn't have dreams of accomplishing things. It was a simple woman in a simple place whom God came to and used so wonderfully. God did great things for Mary as God has done great things for you. He has taken forever and completely every speck of guilt that was upon your soul. It cannot be found. He has adopted you. The Lord God calls you his beloved. He has gifted you so that in the gathering of God's people, you are equipped to serve and encourage and help and be engaged in ways that are meaningful. The word of God tells us he has done that for 
every believer for the purpose that our brothers and sisters might be blessed by us. He has appointed you to be an ambassador of the Lord Jesus himself to declare how anyone who would call upon him can be saved. These are just some of the ways that God has exercised his greatness toward you. If you are one who has trusted in Christ, each of these is, is forever praiseworthy. And perhaps greatest of all, he whose name we're told there, he whose name is holy, he calls us to be holy. And we need to consider the significance of this. Holiness is the very heart of God's character. It is his leading attribute. We, we see a picture in the Old Testament in Isaiah. We see a picture in the New Testament in Revelation. We, we see the, the veil of heaven pulled back and we're told of angelic beings who forever unceasingly declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Forever angelic beings are praising God for his holiness. It is the center and heart of his character. You cannot grasp God without understanding he is holy and God calls us so foolish and flawed and weak, so much sin and baggage in our background, and yet God would call us to share his very heart. And the one word that best most defines his character, he wants to be true of each one of us. The call to be holy. It's not God casting a burden upon us. It is, in reality, God calling us to be like his own son. It is God saying, I want you to have the full family resemblance. I want you to be seen and to be known to be like me. God has called you to bear the character of himself, of his son, we must not look upon this call to live life as holy people to be anything less than glorious. Mary magnifies God for his worth, not because all is clear in her mind. She magnifies God for the joy of how he would use her and she magnifies God by rejoicing in the treasury that, that Christ opens 
for all who come to him. She, she speaks of things through the Holy Spirit that she doesn't fully grasp, but what we now know is, is true of what Christ would do. Verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And all that she then says after that are, are statements that have both root in Old Testament praise, but we see a point also to what Christ would be and accomplish. For Christ opens the mercy of God to all who would fear him in verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. The, the mercy of God, meaning God coming to those in need, is for anyone who comes. He, he doesn't turn anyone away. Anyone who would call upon him with true desire for the grace, the mercy of God, he gives. Jesus said, whoever, come. It is this wide open call to all in this world that they might look to him, know him, receive mercy from him. Mary magnifies God for the mercy that would pour forth through Christ. Christ opens the grace of God to those who come with empty hands. Mercy, the focus of mercy, we tend to mercy and grace blur them. They're similar. Grace is what God does for need. And grace is what goes to those unworthy. Together, all of it is true for us. Christ opens the grace of God to those with, with empty hands. He has shown his strength with his arm, verse 51. Scatter the proud, exalt to those of humble estate. Christ's kingdom is unlike any in this world. Those who are wise, powerful, and wealthy have no advantage. It gains them nothing. The kingdom of God is, is wide open for those who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize their unworthiness to come to God, their unworthiness for God to look upon them. And Christ makes the unworthy welcome. The door to his presence, as we saw months ago in Hebrews 4, the door to the presence of God is just thrown open. It is never closed. For anyone who is need, we are going, just come. Come and, and bring your needs. Come looking for God to respond. Christ opens the generosity of God to those who hunger for him, verse 53. God wants our souls to be filled. And so he pours out what truly satisfies. 
Christ reveals the faithfulness of God and his promises. Verse 55 and 54 of the remembrance that comes by the mercy of God to his people. Looking back to the promise of God when sin first came in, what is echoed over and over through the Old Testament of our need, God would send a deliverer. And here in Christ, the remembrance of God to fulfill his promise. God gave an oath. God made a covenant to save. Jesus fulfills the oath. Jesus fulfills the covenant, the promise, beyond any ability to measure. There's, there's no more promise to be fulfilled that Christ doesn't bring. There's no better promise. There's no enlargement of the promise for Christ is it immeasurably. The gospel is a treasury always to be praised. It's always abounding to us. So those who have the gospel, those who have what Christ has accomplished for us, the payment of our sin, the giving of new life, the adoption into family, the promise of home and his kingdom and his presence, all of this is true for every believer, fully true, always true. And so the, the reasons for us to be magnifying God, that they, they stay constant. For us, life seems to be up and down. It seems life is so uneven. We're looking for good times, meaning we're looking when things are smooth, when things are pleasant, and it comes and goes so quickly, and we can fall into a, a mindset of our emotions and heart toward God just ebbs and flows based on circumstances, and, and here we are reminded, no, the reasons for magnifying God stay the same. They are constant. They are wondrous. They are praiseworthy in every moment of your existence. And it deserves that we would respond in all that happens. That we would magnify God who is worthy. When Christ is not magnified, we become guilty of appalling neglect. Appalling neglect. If we can recognize he has taken the guilt of my sin, but something that we don't like cancels out thankfulness, that we can know our forever is with him, and 
the fact that this is hard in our mind, he doesn't deserve my praise. The neglect of not praising the Savior is the greatest sin that we as believers can be guilty of, the neglect of the one who saved us not to honor that we are one who now belongs to the Lord Jesus. So our, our take home in this is that for us to be in awe of God is a vital spiritual discipline. We recognize it's, it's important even if you're not fully good at being consistent, you, you know there, there's importance to be in the habit of being a prayerful person. You recognize it, it's important to be in the word of God on a regular basis. We, we recognize there are disciplines. There are things that belong in our life if we are to be healthy believers, if we're to live in a way that responds appropriately to the Lord. And one of those disciplines is to train our hearts to be in awe of God. It is a responsibility and it is what we need for if, if we're not in all of God, if we are failing to magnify him, oh, we drift into all sorts of trouble. When we fail to magnify God, we begin to think that our independent self-centeredness is actually justified. When we fail to magnify God, Building our own kingdom actually seems more appealing to us and more urgent than serving the call of Christ on our life. When we fail to magnify God, difficulties lead to doubt. And fear complaining become our voice. What people hear from us is a negative heart, an angry heart, a doubting heart, rather than one that is pointing to the Lord Jesus. When we fail to magnify God, we are magnifying what is not deserving of the attention we give. We are making something bigger than it deserves. When we do magnify God, trust grows. Peaceableness takes root. Foolish thoughts lose their influence. When we magnify God, we, like Mary, will submit to God. And so our life will be well used. And so be, before we ask God for things, and 
there's plenty we need to ask about before we ask, before we complain, let us make sure we exalt, we praise. I can remember time years ago when I was as overwhelmed as I've ever been in my life. I was full of discouragement, overwhelmed. And I would get up early and I would spend long periods of time praying and praying and day after day. I would spend that time hours praying and praying and I would leave each day feeling more discouraged than when I began. And months and months and hours of pouring my heart out to God and nothing seemed to be better. My heart was only more discouraged until by God's grace he Open my eyes to see that all that praying was just whining. I was spending hours whining to God, complaining to God. And the simple reality of just praising him. And for months I did not ask for anything. I would just praise the character of God and his works. And that truly revolutionized my heart. Debbie could see difference. People even began to speak of your preaching seems different. And I know my heart was different and the condition of it. And so I say to you, the value of seeking to be in awe of God will bless you like nothing else outside of the actual saving by Jesus of your soul. And so are there days, are there situations, are there relationships in which you are not magnifying God? Every believer here can change that. Every believer here can magnify God in every relationship, in every situation, in every day. And that will be to God's honor and to your blessing and joy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you who are worthy. And we ask that in your graciousness, you would, you would put your hand under our chin and lift our eyes up that we might see freshly 
the wondrous beauty and glory and delight in you, in who you are and who you have sent and what he has done and what your spirit is doing and what is before us that we would not allow a day to go by without magnifying you, our God. Lord, we, we can be weary, we can be discouraged and distracted. We need fresh help daily, so be that to us, beginning today, in Jesus' name, amen.